This is no ordinary apple. It's a magic wishing apple. A wishing apple? Yes. One bite, and all your dreams will come true. Really? Yes, girly. Now, make a wish. Listening to the Secret Life of Tech with Eric Engdahl. A dazzling place I never knew, but when I'm way up here, it's crystal clear that now I'm in a whole new world. I don't think at the time I understood what was going on and what I was doing. Maybe that was part of the reason I did it is because maybe I did think it was a, a, a little bit immoral and kind of bad and I wanted to uh, do that and feel something. Hello humans and welcome to The Secret Life of Tech. I'm Eric Anktel. I feel like I was born at a really interesting time because I was able to spend half of my life living in what I would consider the analog world, which was the world kind of before the middle of the 1990s, when the promise of going online and having the internet and what the internet could be, going to places like AOL to access a kind of browser experience. That that was kind of the line of delineation for me before the mid-90s, we had computers, but they were not part of a network at all. You got on a computer, you used a word processor, maybe you used a, some sort of a spreadsheet document, and that was kind of the extent of, of what you did. But then starting with AOL and starting with other companies that sprung up like that, that provided access to the internet, the world really changed. And I would say that it was the early 2000s when more and more people started going online and exploring what an online environment could be. And that's when I feel like the real social aspects of what it meant to, to go online and to have um, a digital identity or to be in a digital space where you could be somebody who you weren't. That feels like where those things really started. And so for anyone who was born after that time period, especially for people who their first digital experience was maybe their first iPod Touch or their first iPhone or their first slide phone and their ability to, to text their friends or to watch videos online, so many things were possible because of that, that device that they were given oftentimes for their birthday or for Christmas and they suddenly had access to this whole other world and they could connect with people and do things that generations before them just never could because we were limited by physical spaces. So it's pretty incredible to watch this and see the first half of my life in this analog world and then the second half of my life in this digital space and realize just how different the world feels and how differently people interact within that world because of those differences. On today's show, I welcome Marigold. She is in her early 20s. Her first digital experiences were using things like her own iPad, the family computer, the first iPhone that she was given in around 2012, and it was probably an iPhone 4, maybe an iPhone 5. And 
And having those devices really empowered her to go into these digital spaces and explore who she was. And from that, as you'll see from our conversation, she had to confront things like, what does it mean to have privacy? What does it mean to be adventurous? What does it mean to try on characters or characteristics that aren't your own? What does it mean to be authentic or to be inauthentic? And then how has technology really opened up other spaces, other considerations, other possibilities that the analog world just simply could not make available to previous generations. It's a fascinating conversation, and we got to explore some really interesting things, and I'm just super grateful for her being so open with me and willing to explore so many different topics about technology and relationships and identity and sense of self and her relationship to her parents, so many things. Marigold is using a pseudonym, and by request, I have altered the sound of her voice. And with that, I turn to my conversation with Marigold. Welcome to The Secret Life of Tech. What's your name? My name is Marigold. I am 22 years old. When did you get your first cell phone? And do you remember what it was? Kind of. So I got my first permanent cell phone in eighth grade and it was a it was the iphone but the first time i actually got a cell phone and held it in my hands for me to use was in seventh grade for a trip i was going to take and it was one of those flip phones Mm -hmm. that my parents bought me so that they could keep in contact with me like you pay by the minute but my first actual cell phone that was mine was in eighth grade and it was the iphone at the time And what was your relationship to technology when you were young? Did you guys have a computer in your house? Yeah, I I would say for the most part, it was a typical household. We had a computer. Uh, All of us kind of had the newest cell phones over the past few years. Well, I got an iPad. I had an iPod before that. We had TVs. However, I would say something that's different from me versus maybe other people is that My parents definitely had limits on my technology. I had to put my phone downstairs uh, before I went to bed each night. So I couldn't have it in my room until I was further along in high school. During the summer in my uh, middle school and elementary school, they would take a day and we couldn't go on electronics. We had to read and do other stuff. I wasn't, obviously, I didn't really get a cell phone until later, which is similar, I would say similar to my generation. But I wasn't allowed on a lot of social medias for a while. And how did your parents monitor that? A lot of it was they trusted me some, but they would go on my phone. Okay, so you'd have like a an unexpected audit. Oh, sometimes. I mean, it was mostly the, if they thought I was lying about something or they saw over my shoulder, I I definitely... Felt like I had to hide my phone from them. And were you hiding anything on the phone or were you just hiding the fact that you had the phone and you didn't want them like eavesdropping or spying on you? There was only one period of my life that I had actually something to hide, I would say. Uh, Or there was a couple of points Uh, when I was in middle school for my iPod. I actually looked up uh, some porn, Disney porn, and that was something I would hide. Uh, as well as other forms of porn. When I was in high school, I had a, a abusive, manipulative boyfriend, and we messaged over Instagram. 
and I would hide that from them. And so when they found out I was lying to them, they logged onto my phone because I had to share the password. That was one of the things about my phone is they had to know the password. And they looked through all of my texts and figured out everything that was going on. And did they ever find anything be outside of like the boyfriend or? Not that I remember. And did they ever threaten to take away your access to tech? Uh, oh, yeah. They're, that was the first thing they did uh, to me uh, or my sibling was that they, if we were, we didn't do a chore or something, they would take away our electronics. As you look back and, and think about your relationship to to technology and to that smartphone, did the computer ever play a part in any of this or was it really just centered around the phone? It was usually centered around the phone. Uh, not really the computer, mostly mostly my phone. And then when did things change where you had more liberal access to your phone? I would say probably my junior or senior year of high school. I really didn't feel comfortable around showing my parents my phone uh, until I got out of the house. Uh, so in college, mostly because they weren't there monitoring me uh, anymore. So I didn't feel like I had to hide that as much. And so that's been a process of healing. Same. And you say a process of healing. Yeah, there's still definitely times where I notice that I turn down my phone when people are going near. I feel uncomfortable or embarrassed when people are looking at my phone over my shoulder. When I was uh, just getting out of my parents' house and into college, I felt protective of my phone and I didn't want people to see. Uh, I It was definitely a little... I'd say traumatizing that they went through my messages and I didn't like that. So I, I felt like I needed to heal a little bit from somebody invading my privacy. And so I, I take some precautions in my relationships to make them a little bit more private. And it's not just them, it's other stuff that happened, including the, the abusive boyfriend, but that was part of it as well. Did they track your location now or did they ever? No, they never did that, uh, which is interesting because a lot of my friends did have Life360 or something similar, but they didn't do that. They did want to know where I was. I would say my parents were on the stricter side, so I didn't really go to parties or didn't do a lot of that stuff in high school um, because I would have to tell them all of the information and uh, they would decide if I could go or not. And so... For the majority of the time and until I kind of got into that rough relationship, I, I told them everything. Um, that was my way of kind of coping and moving through my household was I was obedient. I told them everything and I never really did anything wrong. And is that the truth? Yes. And when did you, so you talked about I don't know, searching for Disney porn when you're like in middle school and things like that. But did was there ever a time in your life where you kind of deviated from that path and found yourself exploring virtual worlds and spaces that you weren't expecting, but that you w willingly went into? I would say the Disney porn was the closest I got to that. Um, the other portion was messaging my boyfriend and figuring out where I landed in that. Uh, but otherwise, not really. And did you ever have any secret relationships through that phone? No, no, I did not. Or not through the phone. No, I had a secret relationship uh, through my iPad when I was in middle school. Secret is a big term. I would play Clash of Clans, uh, which is just this world building game where you build little 
um, houses and you would fight others with your knights or wizards or whatever. And um, you would be part of a clan with, you know, strangers online. And I wasn't that like heavily interested in the game. I played it with one of my friends and we thought it was just fun and we would chat or whatever. And once I got into a, a relationship online, I was probably about 12 at the time. And I messaged this guy in the uh, open forum on our clan. I can't remember his name or, I mean, I don't know if they were even a he, I would assume so. And we became boyfriend, girlfriend online. Uh, they said they were 15 and I said I was 15 as well. Did you, did you ever learn the identity of the person or anything more about them? No, I mean, you kind of have these images that form in your mind. I kind of sounded like he was telling the truth. At least that that's what I believed. He was 15, probably a, a kid in you know, his room that was playing around as uh, well and felt like he needed a connection with somebody. Uh, and that ended up being a, a girl in his clan. What was interesting is that somebody else found out about it because um, we were in this open forum on our clan, you know, messaging. And another clan member said, oh, she's probably not even uh, not even 15. Like she could be older or younger. And my boyfriend at the time was like, oh, there's no way she would lie to me and blah, 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 blah. When I was definitely lying about my age. <laughs> do you know, or do you have, um, have you heard stories about like early chat room culture and, uh, like, uh, America online chat and AIM, um, or Yahoo chat or. I mean, I've heard some stories that I, de I definitely heard, uh, the horror stories from my parents of kind of fending me away from that and pushing me away because, they didn't want me to get into a relationship with a older man and they wouldn't, you know, draw me in like that. So I definitely heard about that, but that was never really where uh, I found a lot of my relationships because my parents were stricter around my electronics and um, opened my world and pushed me to seek a lot of hobbies outside of that. I, I don't think I ever, uh, really deeply went into that culture. And how serious was the 15-year-old's the relationship? I mean, now I know it's not that serious, but when you're in middle school, it's, you know, we said, I love you. We would talk about our day. Fairly benign stuff. And he never asked you for things like pictures or proof of who you were. So you could have been talking to a 20-year-old boy or 20-year-old man, whatever. You wouldn't even have known. No, I mean... He could have been 50 for all I'd known. And how long did it go on? A few weeks, maybe. And what do you think was the motivation for wanting a boyfriend through Clash of Clans? I think it was validation. I mean, I think a lot of people go through this awkward era um, in their childhood and when they're becoming a teenager where they're not sure about themselves. They're fine figuring out where they fit in the world. I think that's... I wanted the validation that I was pretty and wanted um, as not just by forming this relationship online, but maybe validation from the friend I was playing with as well. Um, not the friend through the 
through the phone, but the friend I would play Clash of Clans with in person, they were one of my closest friends. And I think I wanted validation that was cool and that was funny and fun and still fun to hang around. At least that's what I think after looking back um, was definitely I just wanted to feel like I fit in. Did the friend you were playing with know that you had this boyfriend? Yes, they they definitely did know. We would kind of message this boyfriend together, um, looking over the chats and figuring out what to say. So uh, maybe on her end, it was something similar. Honestly, it sounds bad that we might have been manipulating somebody in our middle school era to like have this relationship with when we were completely lying about it. Well, that's a really interesting thing for me. What do you think the rules of engagement were? Did you think about the rules of engagement? Or as you reflect back now, do you kind of feel like there should be, not necessarily should be a rules of engagement, but I don't know. How do you just, how do you just feel in general about the idea that that manipulation is so easy and that you can project so much onto someone who you is a kind of phantom person to you? I don't think at the time I understood what was going on and what I was doing. Um, maybe that was part of the reason I did it is because maybe I did think it was a, a, a little bit immoral and kind of bad. And I wanted to uh, do that and feel something. Now that I look back, I, I don't think it was very moral of me to do that. Uh, I definitely could have been manipulating somebody. I was manipulating somebody into thinking that I was a specific age and that I was in love with them and they were we had this relationship with them. When it comes to whether we should put rules on that, I think it could go either way, but it's definitely interesting to see that a lot of people feel better when they have these relationships where they're anonymous and they don't see themselves uh, or they can describe themselves in a completely different way than who they actually are, but it opens other people up to all kinds of hurt when it goes wrong or when they realize that they they have been misled. And what if you found out that the 15-year-old boy, in quotes, that you were talking to was, I don't know, a 23-year-old woman? How betrayed would you have felt at that time by that relationship? I mean, at the time... Maybe I would have laughed it off. I definitely think I would have felt a little creeped out. Luckily, my relationship wasn't that deep or I didn't have a lot of emotional stake in it. And it was only a few weeks. Um, it, we, we didn't share anything uh, personal. So it wasn't, wasn't like I was at a big risk. But I definitely think I would have felt creeped out that just, just like I had done, uh, they misled themselves as well. Mm -hmm. And what if you had found out that the person that you were talking to was younger than 12? still very weirded out and creeped out maybe shame almost i think i would have felt a little shamed that i had misled somebody younger than i had we didn't do we didn't say anything sexual we i think we might have did the kissy face or whatever but at this point in time i don't think uh our relationship in the way we just i described it uh led into anything like child pornography and but I still would have felt kind of shameful and a little disgusted with myself that I had this weird relationship with somebody younger than me. Yeah. And you wonder too, where you feel like I, I want to protect you from yourself. Like what, it, and looking back at yourself now, do you feel like you wish you could go back and protect yourself a little bit? 
sometimes, but I think with the way that was, I would say no, mostly because it's still parts of my life. I barely think about it. It didn't have a big impact on me. Um, I'm not sure about them. If it didn't have a big impact on me, then I would say, yeah, I would go back and explain the situation or stop myself from doing that. But I do know that when it comes to my, for example, my abusive relationship with my ex, if somebody asks if I could go back and stop it, I would say no. It was a big part of my life, and I think it changed how who I am as a person and how I see life. So if because my online relationship with this so-called 15-year-old was so small, it, I think I could have done without it and been fine. But if it was something bigger, it, it might have changed who I was. Oh, how did things break up? Honestly, I can't rem I know we did break up. Like, I think I said, I couldn't be with you anymore. And he seemed devastated. You know, after a few weeks, I was like, I, I need to leave. Like, I have something else going on. But it, for me, it was just, you know, typing out a sentence and it was done. I didn't, I barely thought about it, but I don't know how it was for them. So if the relationship had advanced, if the person had asked you for just a selfie and it started pretty benign and fairly innocent, where do you think you would have drawn the line? Or do you remember a certain point saying, no, I'm not going to do that? Will you ask something or? I don't remember them asking anything like that, but I know because I was warded off from a lot of that, I think I I would have ended it if they had asked for any personal information, um, including an address, my actual name, or a picture. But if I was that small, like when I was younger, I think I would have given, you know, details that I wouldn't have called personal at the time. Maybe, you know, my height or my weight or, you know, what I look like, you know, a brief description, stuff like that, which is still definitely information that they could have taken. Um, it may not have been something identifying in a way of like they couldn't have found me, but still part of me. So this show is called The Secret Life of Tech. And really it's a look inside of the way that technology often kind of lives its own life beneath the surface of our lives as humans. Do you have any other secrets within your technology that have lurked below the surface that you'd like to share? I mean, I guess the only other thing that I can think of is delving more into the porn aspect. Not and are you comfortable talking about that a little bit? Yeah. So you, you were 12 when you started exploring like Disney porn. Yeah, I would say 11 or 12. Yeah, around there. And how did you find it? Because I know that I can go and Google just about anything. And if I try even just a little bit, I can end up with porn unexpectedly. Yeah, I, so, I can't remember why I looked it up, but I did blank porn on incognito Google. And it came up with either images or stories. Specifically, the stories I would look up would be daddy daughter. And then, and then images would be like Disney. I remember specifically a picture of the Little Mermaid and her father um, doing weird stuff. Um, it was just show, like, it was just a picture um, on her tail. She had like a clit and a vulva, and then he had a really big, you know, penis, and they weren't doing anything, but they just had the parts. So that's that's what I looked up, and I would masturbate to it. So I was figuring out like this sexuality and I had while I was younger and I used that to get myself off. So you're at 22, you're the first generation that has had unfettered access to not only conventional pornography, 
I don't know, pictures of naked people or movies about, you know, featuring naked people to things like cartoons and um, these different imaginary worlds that, that can be created. And those things existed before your generation. They existed in print form, but you can just find them so easily, or you could have at the time too, find them so easily online. Did you feel empowered in any way? Or as you reflect back, what does it feel like to know that you could kind of access, you know, you could look up something very standard like daddy-daughter porn, but that you could find God only knows what at such a young age and without really any preparation for that? What is, what is as the kind of voice of your generation on this, what does it feel like? I mean, a little scary, I would say, because I'm, I feel like I'm conservative in a lot of uh, ways um, in that the stuff that I did was smaller, wasn't very intense, but if I did it, then I bet so many other people did it in much more intense and severe ways. So for me, it feels a little scary that anybody could go online right now and type in whatever words and they could pull up. Um, scary in the fact that they they could be doing pretty much anything and I wouldn't know about it or they could be looking up very inappropriate things um, and I wouldn't know. I obviously there is some some right to freedom we have about this information and the stuff we look up but at the same time I don't know at what point we should censor it for younger viewers uh, because I do think it was maybe a good thing that I had access to it so I could figure that out about my own self because my parents definitely didn't talk to me about masturbation, the female orgasm, how how different it can be um, for women versus men when it comes to that and how much women are shamed for it. And so it, it was, I think it did feel empowering that I was taking control of my body and figuring that out. And I think that was a good thing that I did. But I know that it could be taken in a very different direction uh, based on what you look up, uh, how graphic it is. Because I, I just read stuff online and looked at some pictures, but I never went into actual like video porn. Um, which can be very graphic. So for you, it was mostly, and maybe still is, um, like literature or yes. the erotica, yes. that kind of thing. A little, a little bit empowering in the sense. I would say it's uh, empowering the sense that I uh, use this to get to know my own body and what I wanted sexually. And I, I, since then, I don't think I've looked up any porn, um, but. I do also know that it is definitely scary that the stuff is out there. And how do you feel being part of a like a dating culture today and a generation today where being able to look up and have unfettered access to porn is pretty typical? And how do you feel about it in terms of thinking about future partners or current partners? Does it, you know, how much weight does that have for you? I would say it's a big one. I know when I begin that sexual relationship with partners, I want to have that conversation. Uh, it, it's different if you're uh, part of hook, hookup culture and you're just kind of doing um, one night stands, but 
I'm usually more of a person that I want to have, I, I want a monogamous relationship. So I think it's important to have that conversation. And I, I don't like my partner watching porn, uh, at least not religiously. Maybe every once in a while, I think I would be okay with, but I also would want to have a conversation about what do you watch? Like what, what is interested to you? Because I want to, I want to know uh, how are what turns you on? And so maybe we, we can do it in the bedroom uh, or just knowing more about that partner's intimacy, um, at least in my opinion. So my part, like some of my partners and I have talked about like, what are your kinks? What turns you on? What doesn't turn you on? And I've talked about some of my kinks and even though we may not do that in the bedroom because one or both of us don't actually want to do it, um, it's still a form of in- intimacy to know what turns each other on. And do you feel like technology at the, is at the center of people's access to it and then their understanding of it and their language around it? Like how much has the technology influenced or impacted your conversations and the way that you kind of think about it in terms of your identity um, in, in that relationship development around sexuality? I definitely know that for technology, it is much easier to figure out more extreme things that turn you on. I mean, when without it, you just kind of, you're looking at maybe movies uh, or people down the street and you see something, you're like, oh, that could be kind of something I, I like in the bedroom. But with technology, you can look at so much when it comes to sex and uh, figure out if that turns you on. Like you could watch videos of uh, people hitting each other or like, urinating on you like that's not necessarily something you would see without technology and uh, see it in that sexual form not just you know in its normal form like hitting somebody out of violence uh, or you know going to the bathroom but seeing it in a sexual form that is something you can't you couldn't get without technology so that's why I think when you when I go to my partner's I need to have that open conversation because it's no longer just, you know, if like, have you seen this? If you've seen this, it's what have you found? Cause it's no longer an if it's a when and how much. And have you ever been, af- maybe afraid's the wrong word, but have you ever been kind of worried that you might find yourself unexpectedly aroused by something that technology has enabled you to find, but that is a kink you weren't expecting and maybe didn't even welcome. Oh yeah. Yes. I definitely have developed uh, a few feelings around different BDSM kinks and I don't know how to feel about them. Um, There's been, I watched a series on a streaming platform. There's a few things on there that I was like, Oh, I might actually like this. And it came as a surprise. And I actually brought it up with my, my partner at the time and they were they weren't happy. They didn't want that. And they felt kind of, they were shocked and the look at their face, like I thought they were disgusted and it, it didn't feel good for me when I was just trying to talk about what I was feeling, see, see where they were at, not necessarily something we had to try, but kind of feel out the situation and the feeling of shame I had in that moment. I, I was really upset that they looked at me very disgusted over something that I had seen in 
liked. I feel like having access to a streaming platform, having access to a streaming platform that's covering something that is you could find kind of in mainstream porn or just online kind of broadly, it it brought something to your feet that you weren't expecting to find. And then you had an emotional response to it. And then bringing it into that relationship caused issues. Yes. Luckily, uh, at the time, we were able to talk through it. Uh, and our relationship lasted through that, but it could could have gone very differently if we were different people or different ages. I mean, this was, you know, when we were like we were both out of high school, we were definitely more of a developing person. But if we were in middle school talking about this or high school, I don't know if it, I, I don't know how it would have turned out uh, or even different people. I can't imagine if you know, freshmen in high school found this stuff and they started talking about it, how mature their relationships would have been and how they would be able to process their feelings. Because I know I wasn't the most emotionally stable um, high schooler. Nobody is. We're figuring out hormones and relationships and figuring out our place in life. And we had access to that and then tried to talk to our partner at the time about it. That conversation may not be as mature uh, may not be as respectful for one another, it could end up very badly. It's been my experience that a lot of people have things that they shamelessly follow or they shamelessly consume. And in the olden days of like the 1990s, it might have been an addiction to talk shows and to the Jerry Springer show, those kinds of things. Is there anything for you that's kind of your shameless follow, like on Instagram or other platforms? Oh, yeah. I follow a... Uh, I mean, a sex toy like maker on Instagram. Uh, it's called Belasco. Belasco. Um, and I mean, they post a whole bunch of stuff uh, about their sex toys, uh, vibrators, you know, rabbits, etc. But they also, you know, put little dirty secrets about people would want. Uh, I've been, you know. I've been thinking about getting a new sex toy, and so it's nice to uh, look there and see what their options are, but it's kind of weird that I do that on my public one and anybody could see. Uh, it's hard because I think I don't mind having this conversation with people because it's 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 on my public you know Instagram account where anybody could see, but I also think that, well, we need to be pushed into a little bit more of open conversations about sex and just following like this might be my way of being like, you can talk to me about that and I don't mind. For this question or this part of our conversation, had you ever really reflected why you leave it public? Not really. Mostly because I only have one Instagram and that's where I follow them. Uh, it's not like I'm looking for anything. It, I'm not looking for somebody to talk to me about it. It's only my friends on there. Uh, and I mean, I guess professional people can see too. I think that's big, the biggest reason is that I, that's the only Instagram I have. And it, I want to be more open about, you know, sex and talking about it. So if you follow my Instagram, which is a shorter amount of people, I keep my Instagram private and I only let people follow me who I would consider a friend, a closer friend. I've had a good conversation with you. Uh, so if you're seeing that and you see that, then I don't mind you looking because that's just a normal part of human life. And if you wanted to talk to me about, me about it, great. We can talk. If you're disgusted about it, then 
maybe you shouldn't be my friend. Just like with pornography and being part of a generation that has, for the first time, sort of access to an endless amount of it. I think you're also part of a generation that can get direct-to-home delivery of something like a sex toy. And maybe in the olden days of 20 or 30 years ago, you might have had to have been creative to either make your own or repurpose something like an electric toothbrush or go to the drugstore and hope nobody spotted you as you purchased an old-school vibrator or something like that. Now it's pretty easy, even as a teenager, to order something online and have it delivered. Have you ever had conversations with your friends or your peers or uh, partners or whomever about what that is is like today i've had some definitely some conversations uh a lot of my friends and the people i've talked to this about it's very empowering to have a tool that can that you can masturbate with and have an orgasm with it's it again that's part of being able to access this a lot of pornography online is that you're able to learn a lot more about yourself uh and it is very it's very freeing uh, to be able to learn a lot about your body, especially since for uh, women, it it's been it can be very shameful to feel sexy and to like to have sex. It's still a stereotype that we're not supposed to, and it's shameful to do that. So being able to talk about it and follow the stuff and have access to it. Uh, is empowering um, getting to know our body and not feeling shameful that we want sex and we want to have an orgasm. Um, it it's it's nice to have it. Yeah, because I think that I would say almost all generations before you, those conversations weren't public. They weren't easy to have. They were the kinds of things that were shameful and that people felt like they had to hide. Absolutely, it's great for me to see that other people want the same because I bet you would agree that. Those generations, you all were thinking very similar thoughts. You wanted to do that stuff. Um, you wanted to t- talk about sex with somebody else. I, I mean, I bet hundreds of years ago, there were women all gossiping about how, how big their man's penis was and how it was it for them and who, who were they in the sheets with or the, you know, <laughs> in the skins with. But now it's much more open. You, you don't, you don't just have to, talk about this with your friends, you can talk about this with strangers, which is a good thing and a bad thing. I was reading recently that polyamory is is maybe on the rise or at least more accepted by Gen Z. Um, what are your attitudes about that? Uh, obviously, I already said that I definitely feel like a monogamous relationship is the one for me, but I understand why a lot of people don't want it for themselves because humans amazing creatures there are so many people out there that are beautiful amazing smart intuitive curious all the words that we have in our dictionary to describe people there's thousands upon thousands that we can make to describe them and i know that i wish sometimes that i could have relationships with those people because they're cool there's they're different. It's not that they're better than, you know, my partner at the time. They're just, they're different and they're still cool and amazing in their own way. And you can definitely have that in friendships, in platonic relationships. And I have many friends that they're amazing people. It's also a different level of intimacy to bring in physical and sexual, you know, relationships into your friendships and, or, 
moving past that to become polyamorous uh, so that you can have multifaceted relationships with multiple people. I know that's not for me, but I understand why, because it, I'm a curious person. I am curious what it would like to, you know, be more physical with some people uh, because I love them as a person. And I know that intimacy might be shared in other ways. And you have a long life ahead. Oh yeah, exactly. Especially that I mean, I have been looking into my own sexuality and I, for most of my life, I thought myself as um, straight, but I'm kind of bi-curious and looking into that. And I've only had um, male boyfriends. So it's, as somebody currently in a relationship, it's hard to figure out kind of my own sexuality um, when I don't go outside of those monogamous terms. And I, I don't want to. I, I love my partner and I want to stay with them. It is difficult at some points to figure out who I am sexually when it comes to bisexuality, etc. cetera, uh, if I can't really experiment like that. And do you feel like technology in some ways opens you up to that kind of exploration or maybe even introduces the idea that maybe I am different than I thought I was? Oh, yeah. I mean... I've never done this. I've never thought about it, but I could see myself, you know, looking at porn or stories or um, pictures of women and seeing if I feel like I'm sexually attractive to attracted towards them. It would be very easy for me to do that um, and just be a click of a button away. I think that's where a lot of people have found their sexuality as well. I know that in our society, being gay or bisexual um, has come with challenges and they're definitely discriminated against. So it having that access on the internet makes it easier to explore that and continue being themselves when uh, their real life doesn't know about it. You've been very honest and forthright with me. I really appreciate that. It's great hearing your story and I appreciate your ability to be um, reflective and critical and forgiving and curious all at the same time. Is that a fair assessment? I would say so. You may paint me in a better light than I would paint myself, but I appreciate it. The Secret Life of Tech is written, edited, and hosted by me, Eric Anktel. I co-produce the show with Dagny Bataglino. The Secret Life of Tech is more than a podcast. It's a media project and movement. Visit thesecretlifeoftech.com and leave a voice message or submit a written secret of your own. No matter how you share, we promise to keep you anonymous if you ask. You are what make this our show. Share your secrets. Listen, subscribe, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Because all around our tech, there is a world of secrets just waiting to be told.